You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. The feds look to cast a wider hiring net. Legislators focus on deep fakes. Cookie stealers bypass MFA on Google accounts. A fast food hiring chatbot got hacked. Medusa casts her gaze toward extortion. Akira ransomware is active in Finland. GitLab patches critical vulnerabilities. Bosch thermostats are vulnerable to some hot firmware. CSAM vendors' crypto sophistication grows. CISA releases ICS advisories. On our Solution Spotlight, N2K's Simone Petrella speaks with Kim Jones, director of Intuit's Cybercraft team, about the SEC's heightened focus on cybersecurity and a little listener feedback, karaoke style. It's Friday, January 12, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Hello, and thank you for joining us. We are glad to have you here with us. National Cyber Director Harry Coker is working to change federal cybersecurity hiring practices. Collaborating with the Office of Management and Budget, the plan is to revise educational requirements for some federal cybersecurity contracting jobs, opening these positions to skilled individuals without four-year degrees. These changes are part of the Biden administration's effort to strengthen cybersecurity. Coker aims to diversify the workforce historically underrepresented by women and people of color. The federal government will conduct hiring sprints later this year. These will involve recruitment events in previously overlooked areas, including community colleges. This is all part of the Biden administration's strategy to bolster the cybersecurity workforce, enhance education and skills, expand the workforce, and increase federal cybersecurity employees. Over half a million cybersecurity positions are vacant, and urgently need filling. Staying with policy news, the New York Times reports on a recent state legislators' conference where a panel demonstrated the rapid advancement of AI-generated deepfakes. Initially, legislators chuckled at a primitive deepfake of former President Trump and Obama playing basketball. However, a more realistic video created a year later caused alarm. This spurred state lawmakers to consider regulating false or misleading political ads made by AI, especially with the 2024 primary elections approaching. Tim Story from the National Conference of State Legislators emphasized the need for regulatory guardrails. 
Cautionary tales from overseas like Slovakia's election influenced by deepfake recordings highlight the urgency. In the U.S., the campaign of Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida released fake AI images involving President Trump and Dr. Fauci. As of early 2023, only California and Texas had laws regulating AI in campaign advertising. Since then, Washington, Minnesota, and Michigan have passed similar laws with bipartisan support, mandating disclaimers for AI-made ads. Kentucky's proposed bill is notable, making first-time violations a felony with up to five years in prison. By January, 11 more states introduced similar legislation. These bills focus on disclosure requirements for misleading AI ads, particularly during critical pre-election periods. In Congress, Senators Amy Klobuchar and Josh Hawley lead AI bill initiatives. State Representative Julie Althoff's bill requires disclaimers for AI-altered media. The broader legislative effort aims to combat the challenge of rebutting convincing fake videos or recordings, addressing First Amendment concerns by focusing on disclosure rather than outright bans. Turning to threats and vulnerabilities, researchers at Malwarebytes report on a method to gain unauthorized access to Google accounts, circumventing multi-factor authentication. Hackers achieve this by stealing and extending the lifespan of authentication cookies, which remain effective even if the account password is changed. Since this exploit's discovery, both white and black hat security researchers have examined it, leading to its incorporation into various information-stealing malware. This exploit abuses a Google API meant for syncing accounts across Google services to reactivate expired authentication cookies. According to Bleeping Computer, Google considers the API to function as intended and doesn't view this as a vulnerability, suggesting no permanent fix is forthcoming. To check for unauthorized access, users can review recent device logins in their Google account settings. If compromised, signing out of all browsers and resetting the password is recommended to invalidate old session tokens. For administrators managing Google Workspace or Cloud Identity, they can reset sign-in cookies in the Google Admin Console. Hackers infiltrated the backend of Chatter, an AI chatbot used by fast food franchises for automating hiring, 404 Media reports. The breach was discovered by a group of researchers who utilized a script to scan for exposed Firebase credentials, focusing on companies using the .ai top-level domain. The script identified a Firebase configuration for fast food chain KFC. Using Firepone, a GitHub tool for testing Firebase app security, the researchers gained read and write access to Chatter's database after creating a new user account. This access revealed sensitive data, including names, phone numbers, email addresses, branch locations, messages, work shifts, and some passwords. The data pertained to franchisee managers, job applicants, and Chatter employees. The breach extended beyond KFC, allowing access to an administrator dashboard with oversight over multiple organizations using Chatter. This granted the ability to accept or reject job applicants and manage financial transactions. The researchers have reported the vulnerability to Chatter, which markets itself as a comprehensive AI-powered hiring tool for the hourly workforce, handling tasks like application review, interview scheduling, and background checks.
Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 threat intelligence analysts report an increase in Medusa ransomware attacks, with a notable shift toward extortion tactics. In early 2023, the Medusa Group launched a dedicated leak site, the Medusa Blog, to publish sensitive data from victims who refused to pay ransoms. This multi-extortion approach offers victims various paid options on their leak site, including time extensions, data deletion, or downloading the compromised data, with costs varying based on the affected organization. David Moulton is host of the Threat Vector podcast from Unit 42, and in their most recent episode, David spoke with Duel Santos on this very issue. I would put it in, in two particular points. One has been operating pretty much uh, on the low side of things for a year now, which has benefited a lot because they're not in the eye of law enforcement, they're not in the eyes of many cybersecurity researchers. And then in 2023, once they felt comfortable with the structure of their ransomware service, service, they would start to impact different organizations, start to the leak side, and they have no particular code of conduct, right? Everything is a target. Everything can be compromised by these particular individuals in a way for them to make profit. Medusa threat actors also use a public telegram channel named Information Support to share files from compromised organizations. This method provides broader access than traditional Onion sites. The Unit 42 Incident Response Team's involvement in a Medusa ransomware incident has revealed additional tactics, tools, and procedures employed by these threat actors. The Finnish National Cybersecurity Center, NCSC-FI, reported increased activity of Akira ransomware in Finland, especially towards the end of 2023. Twelve attacks were reported in 2023, with three occurring during the Christmas holidays. In December, six out of seven ransomware cases in Finland involved Akira. Attackers targeted organizations with vulnerable Cisco ASA or FTD devices, either using leaked credentials or brute force attacks exploiting a specific Cisco firewall vulnerability. Victims typically lacked multi-factor authentication, allowing attackers to enter networks, delete backups, and encrypt servers. The report notes that attackers meticulously destroyed backups, including network-attached storage servers and automatic tape backup devices, resulting in almost complete loss of backups. To counter these threats, NCSC-5 recommends implementing MFA, updating Cisco devices, creating offline backups at different physical locations, and adhering to the 321 backup rule, three backups in two different places with one copy entirely off the network. GitLab has issued security updates to address two critical vulnerabilities, including a severe flaw with a CVSS score of 10. This vulnerability could enable account takeovers by sending password reset emails to an unverified email address due to a bug in the email verification process. It affects self-managed instances of GitLab Community Edition and Enterprise Edition. The issue affects all authentication methods. Users with two-factor authentication are vulnerable to password reset but not full account takeover. Another critical vulnerability patched in the update allows abuse of Slack or Mattermost integrations to execute slash commands as another user. GitLab recommends upgrading to a patched version and enabling 2FA especially for users with elevated privileges, to mitigate potential threats.
A vulnerability in Bosch smart thermostats has been identified by Bitdefender. The issue is rated as high severity and allows attackers to send commands to the thermostat and replace its firmware. The flaw is in the unit's Wi-Fi microcontroller, which acts as a network gateway for the thermostat's logic microcontroller. The vulnerability enables malicious commands to be sent to the thermostat, indistinguishable from legitimate cloud server commands. Journalist Andy Greenberg writes in Wired that cryptocurrency tracing firm Chainalysis has reported an increase in sophistication among online child sex abuse materials vendors using cryptocurrencies. The Chainalysis annual crime report reveals that while total revenue and the number of new CSAM sellers accepting cryptocurrency have declined since 2021, the use of advanced privacy tools by these vendors has risen. Approximately 46% of CSAM sellers utilized cryptocurrency mixers in 2023, up from 22% in 2020, to obfuscate transaction trails. CSAM vendors are also increasingly using instant exchanger services to trade Bitcoin for privacy coins like Monero and Zcash, which make tracing more difficult. This shift to more sophisticated methods has resulted in CSAM vendors operating online for longer periods. On average, active CSAM vendors in 2023 remained online for 884 days, significantly longer than in previous years. Chainalysis's study correlates the use of Monero-friendly instant exchangers with the increased survival rates of CSAM vendors. Despite these developments, the overall scale of CSAM transactions for cryptocurrency seems to be decreasing, potentially due to increased awareness of traceability in cryptocurrency. The report suggests that while more cautious CSAM sellers are emerging, advances in blockchain analysis could still pose a significant threat to their operations. CISA yesterday released nine industrial control systems advisories, covering equipment from Rapid Software, Horner Automation, Schneider Electric, and Siemens. As usual, update them if you got them. Coming up after the break, on our Solutions Spotlight, N2K's Simone Petrella speaks with Kim Jones, director of Intuit's Cybercraft team, about the SEC's heightened focus on cybersecurity. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Our own N2K President Simone Petrella recently spoke with Kim Jones, director of Intuit's Cybercraft team. Here's their conversation. Normally, we spend a lot of time on this segment talking about solutions to the cyber people problem, which you focus a lot on. But today, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about a possible hurdle. So we're doing the anti-solution spotlight, at least for publicly traded companies. And that's the SEC's heightened focus on cybersecurity. So for background, for anyone listening, on October 30th, the United States Security and Exchange Commission, the SEC, announced it filed charges against SolarWinds and its CISO for defrauding investors and customers through misstatements and omissions that concealed poor cybersecurity practices and failed to disclose its increasing cybersecurity risks. These charges from October seem to indicate that the SEC is poised not only to enforce the new disclosure requirements, but also kind of look to other possible violations that stem from inadequate cybersecurity practices. So there's a a key theme that I would like to talk about today around the SEC, but also the theme of the complaint, which is around management's awareness of ongoing cybersecurity issues, the failures of those um, cybersecurity practices over the years, and the fact that it didn't disclose them. Um, So that's the backdrop. Kim, let's get right to the good stuff here. As a former CISO, what's your hot take on these recent charges? (laughs) So... First, the general disclaimer to make all the lawyers in my life happy. Uh, The opinions you're about to hear and I'm about to express are my own. They do not reflect into its opinions or opinions of any of our customers. I am not a lawyer. I do not play one on TV. I am an old security guy, so I'm comfortable giving my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. All All disclaimers done. All right. Disclaimers (laughs) aside. Got it. Let's go. (laughs) So... My focus here, you you talked about the complaint against the SEC, and you talked about the complaint against the CISO. Let me start with the latter and then move to the former very briefly. As a layman, the complaint against the CISO centers around the concept of fraud and centers around your your say-do, what you said and what you did, differed in terms of internal versus external, et cetera. I'm an old intelligence guy. I'm a West Point grad, as you know. I spent 10 years in Army intelligence. And I was raised with the saying that my job was to always very, very directly, very, very openly tell the truth on the ground. Now, yes, that truth on the ground is based upon my educated opinion. What the commanders who actually move the troops do with that is their call. And I took that mentality into my time as a CISO and into my time as a security professional. I have often said that I only fail in my job as a CISO, not if I get breached, but if leadership can credibly make the statement they didn't know. And note that I caveated that with credibly. So my job is more than one occasion to be the bearer of bad news. More than once in my career, I have been pressured 
to change my opinion. I have been threatened with my job to change my opinion, which meant more than once in my career, I have calmly set my badge down on the desk and asked for an escort out of the building, at which case, by the way, in all cases, management backed off and we had a good conversation and we got through it. If, big if, the allegations against the CISO are proven to be valid, it would appear that that level of solid line in the sand or in the, in the, in the concrete was not maintained. And again, big ifs here. I don't know the case. I'm not a lawyer. All those pieces in there. But if those allegations prove to be correct, this was a case of you draw the line in the sand, you communicate up, and you don't move. I think collectively, and this is the old guy in me, that as the profession has evolved, we have forgotten or may have put on the back burner the need for us and the importance for us to do that. So that's the CISO end. But it, it, it sounds like kind of what you're, you're kind of saying here is that you can very realistically see an environment where someone in a position at a public company like SolarWinds is even if they're coming to the table saying the, the bad news or kind of trying to be transparent, there's a lot of pressure, whether it's overt or maybe a little bit more sub subversive, even if non-intentional, to essentially be like, you know what? I will back off. I'm not going to sort of like keep this hard line in the sand. And the problem that I have here is that we're, as a profession, we act as if that's new. Doing this a long time. That's the gig. That has always been the gig. It will always be the gig. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to take my sledgehammer and beat the company up, you know, in public domains. It's like the old Watergate saying, Simone, you're, you're in the D.C. area. It wasn't the crime. It was the cover-up. <laughs> Where you have problems is if I'm deliberately not looking because I don't want to see what's out there or I'm hiding what's going on. It's like, look, this is a case where here's what the requirement is. Or if I disagree with your interpretation of the requirement and my interpretation of the requirement, we got lawyers on both sides. Figure it out. Tell me what my opinion is, and I'll go that way. I don't have a problem with that, and no CISO should. Yeah. Well, I think we've thrown a gauntlet here. I mean, I was going to ask you next, what are some of the ways that you would recommend CISOs at public companies evaluate and report on their cyber practices, you know, for not only the overall security of the company, but their filings? I think you gave us a couple starting points here, right? Whether it's FAIR or some other more data-driven process. Are there any other recommendations that you could discreetly say if maybe someone's not at a point where they are mature enough in an organization to use something like FAIR? Like, what are some things that they could do to evaluate and report on their cybersecurity practices and overall position, especially when it comes to public companies who have to file? I am a huge, 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 huge fan of the NIST cybersecurity framework. Um... For those of you watching the states, I go to nist.gov, Google it, you'll find it. Um, if uh, outside of the states, one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of it is because they're fairly comprehensive, they're well-structured, and oh, by the way, they're free, so you don't have to pay for the models. The CSF is truly the first, in my knowledge, risk-focused framework out there. Even better... If you get into the framework, it tells you, guys, if you're, and if you're a small, 
mom and pop startup or just 10 or 15 people, please, God, don't try and implement everything in the framework. You know, pick the ones that make the most sense for you, start there and then grow. I love the CSF as a framework to do that. And it's simple. So I'd start there. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think, you know, Kim, first of all, thank you so much for for joining and having this conversation. I think it's going to be really enlightening for a lot of folks that are watching and listening. I think it's actually a great place to stop and let people really think on that from a conversation. Kim, thank you again for joining us this morning and appreciate all of your opinions and thoughts, even if they are your own and not to represent a company or an organization. Um, Really enjoyed the conversation. I really did as well. Always great to talk with you, Simone. Thank you for having me. That's our own Simone Petrella speaking with Intuit's Kim Jones. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And finally, a message to our most recent reviewer on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for the excellent feedback, Lola. We love to hear from our fans and audience to address your specific concerns. She walked up to me and she asked me to dance. I asked her her name and in an AI voice she said, Robot, R-O-B-O-T, Robot, Ro-Ro-Ro-Ro-Robot. If you have feedback about the show and want a call-out on air, just like Lola, you can always email us at cyberwire at n2k.com or submit a review in your favorite podcast app. And as always, thanks for being a part of our community. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Ryan Westman, Senior Manager of Threat Intelligence with eCentire's Threat Response Unit. We're discussing their research. Two Russian-speaking cyber gangs attack employees from 23 different companies. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. 
We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Next Monday, we will not be publishing in honor of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. We'll see you back here on Tuesday. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber.